Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, the journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams. And I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. Today on the journey, we are going to the doctor's office. We are going to learn some stuff. I get a lot of questions, and Lord knows I don't know the answer because I'm definitely not a vet. But we are very fortunate in our group that we hunt with that um, a vet actually hunts with us. And we've got med kits made up. Man, we could probably do surgery right there on the tailgate if we needed to because <laughs> he gets us, he puts us in the know. But we are very fortunate. We have a vet that hunts with us when he can. And, um, he keeps us. He keeps our dogs taken care of, and takes care of our dogs even when he's not at work. And we bring them to his house and work on them out here on the porch. And but uh, today I am with uh, um, Garrett Bailey, and Garrett is um, with us, and we are going to talk about um, females being pregnant, um, what to do with the females. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, and then when the pups are born, we're going to talk about. Um, just some of the stuff on the vet side of it, what we should do to be taking care of them to give them the most um, chance for growth and healthy and a healthy lifestyle. So, Garrett, I really appreciate you having me over this evening. I yes, think, sir. man, you're gonna turn some. We're gonna turn some dogs loose here in a little bit, aren't you we? You're dang right. We're gonna run something, <laughs> even if it's wrong. Well, that's probably what it's gonna be <laughs> with these three heathens I brought. It'll but, buff out. But uh, Garrett, tell us, kind of give us your background. I mean, I know, listeners don't know. Tell right. us your background, where are you from, um, how you got into being a vet, and then we'll just we'll just run it from there. All right. Well, thanks for having me. I'm uh, originally from Greenbrier County, West Virginia. Oh. Yeah. West by guy. <laughs> the Virginia. best Virginia. <laughs> I know. We got to talk about this song, John Denver. <laughs> yeah. Country Roads. You dang right. It says... West Virginia. It was wrote about the Blue Ridge no. Mountains. It was not wrote about <laughs> the steep goat pass that y'all have no. over there. No. Yes. Definitely not. This is not true. What year was that wrote? I don't know. 
But I'm tired of hearing it every time West Virginia wins a ball game. Hey, I love it. I get up <laughs> singing it every morning. <laughs> All right, so you're from Greenbrier. Yep, grew up in Greenbrier County. Um, you know, mom and dad, good, great family. Grew up hunting was, I mean, it was it. Mm-hmm. I grew up loving eat, sleep, and breathe hunting. Um, I didn't grow up with hounds. Um, I was always around hounds. My uncle had hounds. We run some beagles. Went coon hunting and bear hunting with friends, um, and and I've gotten to hounds later, which I'll get in that into a second, but in a second here, um, I always wanted to be a vet, and graduated from WVU and decided that maybe vet school wasn't the right path. Looking at student debt load and all those mm-hmm. things, and went and took a year off and went and worked in Montana, and lived out in Montana for a year, and then um, applied to vet school and ended up getting some interviews at Mississippi State and Auburn. Oh. And I uh, almost didn't get any interviews because I put hunting and trapping under my hobbies and interests. <laughs> and uh, actually, they called all my references about that. Oh, and, yeah. And I wasn't even, they weren't going to take me to get an interview, or I wasn't going to get an interview at Mississippi State, which is where I went and graduated because of the trapping. Wow. But, um... Yeah, so anyway, I ended up getting into Mississippi State. I went there for four years and met my wife, and um, we started having youngins shortly after we got out of vet school and um, practiced in Campbellsville, Kentucky for a couple years um, with a guy down there, great mentor, um, great first job, just a little too far from home. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's from Mississippi, so it was a good midpoint, but we decided to come back and, and get a little bit closer to home. So I got we've you. been here for... So Katie's from Mississippi. Yeah. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. Yep, she's from Mississippi, oh, old Southern Belle. Uh-huh. So yeah. what's her favorite football team? Mississippi? She likes Mississippi State. State, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. She went to undergrad there and everything, so... I got you. But, well. um, and then, you know, we've been here now, I guess it's going on five years. Well, I was going to say, I was trying to think about it on the ride over here, um... You know, kind of when I was first introduced to you, but we, we'll go through that in a little bit. So let's go back to Greenbrier County real quick. My first dogs that I bought come out of a guy that hunted and lived in Greenbrier, White Sulphur Springs. Who was it? Porter Burdett. Burdett. I know some Burdettes. But. And they own a big farm over there. And um, how that happened with me is at that time, my, my, the, my girlfriend, her roommate, was hurt his girlfriend and we were over there at the college one night hanging out i think we went out to eat and whatever he got to talk about these bear dogs and of course that's that's how i ended up with bear dogs and they plot dogs that come out of and my first plot was a dog named ace and he was a butch and butch and um he was weems red butch and jill bread dog um and I i actually still have his papers i've got the seven generation papers at the house um, but yeah, I got my first dogs out of Greenbrier County. Uh, where at? Was it near Monroe County, or do you remember? No, near he lived. Up, he lived up White Sulphur. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. You said yeah, that. gotcha. So, gotcha. If I there's a dam over there, in a reservoir or something there. A bluestone dam. There. No. Mm-mm. When you when you go through Caldwell, and you go up into White Sulphur. And you take the left, and I think it goes up 92. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, he, you go straight. I he lived over there. Moo Mall or towards. Yeah. 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 I can't remember, but uh, it's been, I mean, it's been years since I've been, but I, I'd only been to his house one time. But yeah, that's where he was from. And that's where my first dogs come from. Gotcha. And you know, for you guys listening, <clears throat> you, you West Virginians, now y'all <laughs> will know, but I mean, Greenbrier County is a, a kind of a mecca of bear hunting. Oh, yeah. It's huge. Um, there was a guy, I can't remember his last name. But when I started getting my Cameron dogs, um, his name was Lee, and he lived right in downtown White Sulphur, which is not downtown. But right. Yeah. Right. But he had some old dogs that was that was um, bred kind of the same way mine were. Gotcha. Um, and I was actually going to breed to his male dog, my little bell female. Um, God, I cannot remember his last name. It was Lee something. But anyway, he lived in White Sulphur. I too. know. Um... Gosh dang it! I think I know who you're talking about. Is he older or younger? 
Um, he was a couple years older than me. Yep. So now back then I was, you know, twenty. <laughs> Some. I, I know his last name better than I know my own. I want to say it starts with a C. But anyway, all right. So I got it right here. <clears throat> That's going to well, Maybe I don't. I'll think of it in the jiffy. All right. So you graduated <laughs> and y'all. Y'all come here. Yeah, I've been to mixed animal practice for, mm-hmm. you know, since I graduated. I loved the large animal, mainly, um, you know, food animal, more towards the cow-calf. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's all really changed in the last few months. I'm doing something a lot different now. Yeah. And uh, But, yeah, we moved here, worked for, uh, you know, Dr. Wall there, mm-hmm. Bold Springs Veterinary Service, and uh, was there. I was there for four years. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and you know we bought a place here and just kind of got hit with an opportunity to to work a lot less and hunt a lot more and yeah. uh, you know sit, see the family more and that's kind of what life's about to me man it's, it's yeah. family hunt family hunting and i mean that's yeah. it um, yeah and uh so yeah life's good so who did in our group how did, so i'm assuming you and hot rod hooked up first yeah. so sam is how, kind how, of uh yeah, he's the first guy I met. I worked on his Molly dog, who's the mama to, mm-hmm. you know, the. Or I guess that was the first cross to spook, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And um, she had come in, and she had been to several vets with a swollen spot on her ribs, and we mm-hmm. ended up, I cut a big old hunk out of her, and she had a migrating grass on that had kind of mm-hmm. plopped out through her ribs there. And I met him, and I had just got my first dog booger the blue tick oh yeah oh yeah yeah wasn't yeah. worth killing <laughs> and uh and me and sam got to talking and it was shortly after bear season and i was running him out here i didn't have i didn't have a tracking collar or nothing mm-hmm. and uh after bear season sam let me use his tracking collar and uh he got me this old cougar dog that's sitting here um right beside me right now through uh through glenn price and lindell price owned him and and uh he's kind of who i've trained everything that i got now off of as far as coon dogs go i've had a lot of cold dogs but i got one decent one out there that'll treat a coon so you're so you had hunted with hounds before but you never owned any until you come here right so dad never would growing up he tried, and I can see why, because I would have been, I mean, <laughs> hound brains are real. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Ask my wife. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Well, you just seen what's out there. I mean, there's yeah. freaking dogs coming out of my ears. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just, I love it. Yeah. So, but, yeah, Molly, yeah, I remember when Molly had that, and I was trying to think, you know, so, and Sam had told I don't remember what happened or what dog it was, but Sam had told me to come and see you. Right. Um, and, well, it was Pearl. That was the first dog I brought to you. Yep. 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 Yeah, because right. we were on the mountain and she had that She happen. got bitten mm-hmm. hind leg there. Yeah. And that's that was the first time. So that's been three? Yeah. Three, three four three, years three, Yeah, three or four years ago. Yeah. Me and Sam hunted. I mean, we used to hunt out here six, six five, six nights, nights a week. week. Yeah. And, nice. Uh, <clears throat> And then, you know, and then I've met just a pile of all the bear hunters and all the different groups through, you yeah. know, just being the vet. So, Well, and word and, of mouth travels, too. I mean, right. you know, hey, take them to Garrett, take them right, to Garrett, right. you know, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but, yeah, so I never got, my first hound that I owned was that booger dog. I got you. I remember that. Yeah, I yeah. remember we we hunted him a whole training season. Yeah, hot rod brought he him with us. Hot rod's box yes. up. I'm surprised he didn't kill him. <laughs> we, <laughs> he, he had to redo have. the whole box, didn't oh, he? Oh yeah, yeah. That dog was an idiot. I yeah. mean, he he was track minded, but he wouldn't tree. Yeah, and it's like he had ADD. Yeah, I spent a lot. Finally, <laughs> called him out a year and found him a nice home where he can be a pet. Yeah, I got a little Walker Jip after that, and uh, she turned into a real dog. It looks like my house outside. Like that's what yeah, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a lot of youngins, though. Woo. Yeah, I got too many. Youngins. I got yeah. I've got I got five, six, six under two years old, which isn't good. And then Trip is just two, so that's seven. Yeah, so half of my I only got three older dogs. I mean, that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of I got we ended up getting. We're talking about Greenbrier County, so. We've hunted on a lease. Well, my family hunted on it before it was a lease. It's uh, 
Clear Creek Rod and Gun Club, mm-hmm. which we hunted on it before. It was still Briar and Ob Sportsman. There was three different clubs, but now it's it's that mm-hmm. it's eighty seven thousand acre lease, and that's where I mean it's bear hunting mm-hmm. haven, which you can't bear. I mean it's been they haven't accepted new bear hunters for probably ten years, which sucks, but. Um, that's where I've hunted my whole life, and where Ruby, uh-huh. which is the English dog that mm-hmm. I got now, that is kind of really the only reason I'm getting on there, was mm-hmm. that guy I met through that club, and right. you know grew up around. So, right, and a mutual friend, Bo uh, Bo Willoughby, kind of hooked me up with with that dog. So yeah, Bo and Dean and mm-hmm. all them, yeah, they're good. And I, you know, yeah, good guys. I I worked with Dean for several years. Yeah. Yeah they, yeah, they are. They catch a lot of bear. And they hunt hard. Oh, my. I, mean, I went. We went to Boone County a couple of weeks ago, and, yeah, I mean, their mm-hmm. dogs are, they're in shape. Mm-hmm. Yep. They, well, they, they, got them young, they got them youngins that yeah. can run all night long. <laughs> That's what it is. That's the truth. I yeah. I think they finally had to put a bridle on them to chill so, out. Yeah. They were mm-hmm. doing hunting daylight dark, daylight to dark. Yeah. Well, let's get into some, so let's talk about, um, the the one thing I wanted to, to really talk to you about is, because you you give me a lot of advice. I mean, um, man, I can't tell you the times that I've picked up the phone and just text you right. all hours of the day and night if I'm awake. I'm usually in bed by ten o'clock, but um, <laughs> you know, texting you, you give me information. I mean, I was in New York last year or year before last year before last, and I had a dog at home that was sick, and I was texting you back and forth and right. sending your messages to. Um, to Chelsea to get her to, to, to do whatever. Um, so it's, it's just been a, like, I think, you know, there's so much information that you pass on and I want to make sure that everybody has some of that opportunity. So <clears throat> let's talk about breeding females. And once they're bred, some of the things that we should do, because one of the things that, that comes up all the time is, and I don't know why I get asked this question because I don't know the answer is about giving them shots, worming right, them right. during the pregnancy, you know, what right. at what stages or should I, should I not do that? So right. just kind of dip into that. Tell us tell us what we should and shouldn't be yeah. doing or a good practice. Right, right. Well, you know, before you breed the jip or whenever you have your planned breeding, mm-hmm. you know, the health of the female is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And um, that should take place and, and be gotten in line before even making the cross before she comes into heat right um you know you don't want to vaccinate a dog that's pregnant all the vaccines that we utilize are modified live vaccines so they could actually cause some issues giving them to a pregnant dog Uh so you know pre-breeding they should be up to date on their vaccines because a lot of the puppies get the immunoglobulins or the antibodies and their immune system Mm -hmm. um through placental attachment so and then they get a lot through the first milk and the colostrum which we'll get into that a little bit later so but go ahead so so go let's go back so what what would you say is the necessary vaccinations before you breed because there's a thousand of them out there let's break it down to you need this this these two or these three or these five whatever right. you just seem you think is necessary. Right. So there's core <clears throat> vaccines and there's non core. Core vaccines are by the AVMA are set forth and that's kind of what everything needs and what is recommended. And that's what these dogs need. And that is what we would call, you know, the five way distemper, uh-huh. yep. adenovirus, parvo, and parainfluenza. Mm-hmm. Those are the vaccines that are in that and you should always look you know, if you're not getting them from the veterinarian, I mean, I would recommend getting them from the veterinarian. Not saying that the feed stores don't have good vaccines, but you don't know how they're handled. Well, and, let's break into that because I worked at Tractor Supply right for three years, and I so um, I used to go to Old Doc Taylor right in with yeah, 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 and she was so good to me, mm-hmm. and she told me one time she says Heath, she says don't go and get this stuff from. Where you know, right? Tractor supply had just started coming on way back then. She's like, you might as well be putting water in them. She yep. said, if you need them, you call me. I'll I'll get you stuff what you need, and I'll you come pick it up. Right. And I always did that. But then after I moved, and of course she's passed on. Right. I have bought stuff at Tractor Supply in the Southern States, and right. You know, Royal King, the places that we would buy them. Yeah. 
But from working at Tractor Supply, I see exactly what you're saying. When you have people that are responsible for stocking and they don't understand the importance of keeping that in the dry ice and, and taking care of it and getting it back into the refrigerated cooler that you keep the shots in, um, I have seen stuff set out on the floor for two days. Oh yeah, before right. That's when Miss Taylor, what Miss Taylor told me, kind of smacked me in the face. I'm like, wait. So anytime that stuff come in, I try to take care of it myself. Right. Right. If I was there and it was in, that was the very first thing I took care of. I got it right out, put it in the the refrigerator. Of course, you have to start locking the stuff up because people right. are stealing it. So that's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. And honestly. You'd almost be better off just to buy. The, you can get on, you know, I don't know all the names of the um, mm-hmm. companies online, but Alivet and all mm-hmm. those, and you can actually just order. The case of 25. You're going to need it for the pups anyway. Right. So the the bitch before breeding needs those four, and then I always give them a lepto. I mean, these hounds mm-hmm. are exposed to lepto. Leptosporosis is a spirochete bacterium that causes kidney and liver failure. Uh-huh. And by the time you diagnose it, they're in kidney and liver failure. It's passed by all mammals in their urine, placenta, cattle, you know, sheep, goats, horses, deer. I mean, it's in the water. So, uh-huh. you know, they're drinking out of the spring or the creek or a mud hole or whatever. So they need that vaccine. And so they that's don't, the five-way. Well, that's really what people would call, I guess. And the some, lep, does the lepto come in that? No, you need to look. Oh, most people call that the seven way. Okay. It's so got the lepto it. in it. You I just you. need to know those pathogens <clears throat> and look. Because I've had people that have vaccinated dogs, and I've had parvo dogs come in that were vaccinated. And, and using that term vaccinated very loosely, I'll go mm-hmm. into that later. Um, but it didn't even have parvo in it. You know, because right. you've got to look mm-hmm. at and see what's in it. Distemper, adenovirus, <clears throat> parvo, parainfluenza, and lepto. There's four strains of lepto. And they don't just so, you know, most town guys, and, and me included, when you're older dogs, when they get older, by the time that dog's proven and you want to make that cross and utilize and breed her, most of us, I mean, keeping up with annual vaccines, sometimes you might miss a year or get a little bit behind. Mm-hmm. So if you do, that's fine, but you got to booster it. So. Mm-hmm. Three to four weeks later, you got it to come back and, and booster that vaccine. And it takes two to three weeks to mount an immune response to that vaccine. So you want to do that, you know, before she's coming into heat so you're, and be... So you're saying give her two shots. Absolutely. So, unless she's up to date, unless she's right. been getting them annually. You Correct. Know, yeah. right. and, and most of us don't. No, After absolutely. they get a certain age. Yeah, I mean, I'm just as guilty as anyone. I keep I mean, up with my, my rabies. rabies. Oh, yeah. Because I have to. Right. And, you know, Lyme's a whole nother deal. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I started here, we didn't recommend the Lyme vaccine because mm-hmm. they still get Lyme. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here. But, um, you know, we're in an endemic area for Lyme disease. You know, that's not going to help the puppies by any means, giving a Lyme vaccine. But mm-hmm. I've started doing all my dogs, and and they will still get it. But we see, we're seeing about one out of ten develop. You know, they go and they get get what we term in glomerular nephritis where they go into acute renal failure so their kidneys are shot mm-hmm. i mean it's it's a dead dog right and the vaccine there's studies that show it decreases the chance of that happening and we utilized it for two years before i left bold springs and um the company stood behind every one of the dogs you know if your dog gets lyme they pay for everything and mm-hmm. we did have one dog that went into kidney failure i mean that was vaccinated so uh-huh. you know it's like vaccines aren't perfect but but yeah, so back to uh, pre-breeding. So vaccines, and then and so then how how far before? So as long as it's it doesn't really matter if it's in that year window. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And she's up to date within a year, right? But if you know you're going to make, if you know you're going to breed her, um, you know, get on it, get on it, and just yep. get it done. And then get her on something for flea and tick. I mean, yep. I've seen a lot of puppies with flea-induced anemias and just, you know, mm-hmm. they're trying to to survive and, and nurse. And when they have fleas crawling all over them and biting them, I mean, it doesn't take long for them to get anemic. So, and you want to give that before. Like, Brevecto now is great. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a three-month product. So, and there's nothing that's labeled for a pregnant or lactating bitch. Not that they're not safe, but, you know, it's a dog. Mm-hmm. They're not going to spend the money to find out the pharmaceutical companies if it's safe to give a, a pregnant dog, you know. 
So you're not going to find anything that, that is labeled that. So you want to give the, the preventative prior to, um, you know, breeding and whelping. Uh-huh. And Brevecto is great to utilize because you could give it and it lasts three months, which yep. covers you. And we're all we're all kind of using that because right. you you put yeah. us on it, and yeah. it's a great product. I mean, I use it in that um, Canada Veterinary Care. Mm-hmm. I mean, Canadian I, Pet I, Care. I order it through yeah. the. I mean, it, you can get it cheaper through there than the veterinarians can get it at cost. Right. So, and then you know, heartworm preventative. Um, I mean, it depends kind of where you're at. I, I keep mine on it mainly because it's a broad spectrum dewormer as well, and it's a lot cheaper. Uh-huh. Interceptor Plus has got Prozzyquano in it, um, which get round whips, hooks, tapes, and then you know you got your heartworm preventative as well in mm-hmm. that. And um, you know, giving them that monthly is a good idea as well. But um, and then prior to so. And then environment, having a plan. And one thing, a pet peeve of mine, and a lot of my friends do it, you know, they make a cross. Mm-hmm. And then you're at, you know, 57 days, and they're calling, oh, man, she's been nesting for three days. I mean, <laughs> damn, she ain't been eating. What do you think? Well, when when, when did when they tie? Oh, gosh, I can't remember. Write it down. Yes. You know, because there's, there's a big difference in uh, – you know, if she is 64, 65 days, okay, that's yep. a big difference. And if she's 58, um, mm-hmm. so so that's one thing that it, it, it always happens. Well, so in fancy, the litter we just had, right? Um, she had at 58. Right. She was stressed. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we failed. Um, Forrest was going to bring her to the house, and for whatever reason, work schedule, something happened. We didn't get. I wanted her over two weeks before. Yeah, I settle. was going to talk about that. Yeah, we will absolutely. Yep. And I didn't. He didn't. And we kind of brought her in. And I mean, three days later, Bang. she's caught. Chelsea's calling me. She's like, because I was at work. She's like, something ain't right. And I'm like, we'll take her in the house, get her settled. Right. And so she was early because of stress. Right. Yep. Right. So right. go ahead and tell you know. Yeah, I mean, and you know, have a plan. If you know the dog lot's not where you know the gyps going to mm-hmm. whelp. Have have a plan as to um, you know what you're going to do and when you're going to do it, mm-hmm. especially if you're having a litter in the winter and it's yeah. cold and you know <clears throat> kind of know what you're going to do. Um, that is one thing that I've seen a lot of issues. Who's that barking? Is that that puppy? No, it's. Oh my gosh, that damn dog! I'm gonna have to get let her in here in a second. <laughs> um, um, but where were we at? Oh, oh the so the transitioning, yeah, yeah. Um, you don't want to. I've had that happen a lot where someone will just get behind, busy with life mm-hmm. and family, and then, oh, crap, you know, we're two days from, yeah. and, and then they try to make that move, and, and that doesn't go well, especially yeah. after they've started nesting. And yes. you can cause a lot of issues. You know, they'll just quit. And mm-hmm. I've had people, even once they go into to labor, they have a puppy, and they're like, oh, crap, you know, it's it's right in the spring, and it's going to be, 32 degrees tonight but it's been mm-hmm. 50 every night before and um you know then you're in that predicament yeah so um yeah just have a plan and and a clean environment too is very important um you know all these parasites come from the ground and, and um so, it's hard on the hard on the bitch and it affects you know the overall health affects their yeah the quality of milk and and, and everything so so when you talk about a clean environment, this is something that's always in, and I've raised several litters throughout my career, and no, by no means am I perfect because I'm continually learning. Right. But right. I see a lot of people putting, um, so I, I bring my dogs inside. Right. And um, I bring them inside. I've got a whelping box that I make, that I've made, and it's a four-by-four four square it's got the the runners so the dog can't can't roll over and squish the puppies. It's got gives them something to slide up under. <clears throat> and I put down out like an outdoor carpet. Right. Not the the green kind with the big but like um like a, a something you'd put on a boat deck or something. The the carpet. And what I do is after the, she makes a mess, I just roll it up and I put another piece down. So I right. buy it in a little sheet. Right. And I do that. But I've seen a lot of people 
putting down blankets and towels. Yeah. For me, and I mean, for me, that's just something for them to get hung up in and get squished right. or, or get tangled up and, and die. Yeah, absolutely. So what kind of what kind of environment would you, and I mean, yeah, some people, like I said, some people do it different if you're going to have them outside in the summertime. I mean, I've had dogs outside in the summertime in an igloo because right, right. I didn't know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's happened, but preferably what what would you consider um a good setup no it don't have to be perfect but what would be a good setup right so you know definitely a welcome box yeah and um something that the jip can get out and get away from the puppies and, mm-hmm. and go out and kind of do her thing and um you know concrete i mean even if if they're on dirt they're on gravel they're on concrete keeping them in that welcome box the puppies are going to be in the welcome box for mm-hmm. you know at least a few weeks yeah um but and then just having plenty of room being mindful of your water bowls and and i've seen a lot of puppies drown yes. you know mm-hmm. and um you know how shallow they are or how tall they are to where the pups can't get in them uh-huh. um and just little husbandry stuff like that's extremely important right um and I, a lot of people just use a good old uh swimming pool yeah and, and it works mm-hmm. i mean yeah, you it's see easy a lot to clean but yeah. again you just got to make that transition soon enough get them comfortable in their environment um <clears throat> because if you do it too late like you were saying you know that's where you, you can get into problems yeah and we lost several pups because of that right i mean i um we had three stillborn um and i think that was the three days of stress that was right. just me um, right right but so let's go back real quick. So just to clarify, so during the pregnancy, we should not be introducing any shots? No. Okay. Right. And what about worm medicine? Yep. So <clears throat> worm medicine, it's it's good to deworm them before pregnancy or even if you have, you know, your local vet, you can swing a piece of poop back there and they can do mm-hmm. a fecal sample for, you know, 12 bucks. Yeah. Um, just to see if she does have any intestinal parasites. But... Most of us aren't going to do that. So, safeguard, fembendazole. Mm-hmm. It's called safeguard because it's yep. safe. That's what we generally utilize in, you know, pregnant dogs. Right. And, um, you know, you can give it, there's a few different ways to give it. In a true wormy dog, I'll give it, you know, several days in a row and then mm-hmm. space it out every two weeks for a couple of treatments. Um, but hopefully she's not because she's been taken care of because yep. of this she's in good body condition she's Clean been fed accordingly yep. you know and that's another thing um, <clears throat> with feed transition in these dogs kind of that three-quarter gestation at about you know 40 days start giving them some puppy food mix puppy mm-hmm. food in with the adult dog food it's just got more calcium more phosphorus in it mm-hmm. and um then by the time they're whelping it's good to be weighted towards the puppy food as to the regular dog food just mm-hmm. for the, the calcium requirements. I mean, we still see a lot of milk fever in dogs. Yep. It's a very common thing, unfortunately, in big litters or 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 gyps or, or female dogs that aren't nutritionally sound when they go into to whelping and raising pups, especially as these pups are, are nursing more. You know, when they get to be three or four weeks old and she's got 12 on her, by golly, it's, it's, it's hard it's, on them. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and leaving them alone is a big thing, too. You know, once they start whelping, everyone wants to, you know, go in and, and watch them. And, and <clears throat> so, Oxymama. I've yeah. never heard of that. So that was a supplement we, we bought for Fancy um, for the calcium. Right. Um, she was worried because her milk hadn't dropped. And, of course, you had told me yeah. it could take a day or two after. Don't worry. Don't right. panic. Right. Um, and that was what, like I said, that's some more of the things I learned from you. But we ended up buying that and mixing it in her food. Right. And it made a huge, huge difference. Right. Um, so there are some supplements out there that, that you can use if you do your research for that um, calcium. I, I haven't given my – I don't even feed my puppies puppy food. Right. A um, lot of people don't. Yeah. I mean, I mix pride in with mine. Yeah. The thing about they like the puppy food more, I think it's a little bit more palatable. Yep. You know? it, yep. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so. 
And another thing too, so, and I do this, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but usually when I get into that 45 days, I'm not trying to make them blow up like a blimp. Right. But usually I start adding a little food because usually after that initial, um, they have the pups and the pups start sucking, they get drained down pretty quick. Right. And, and then catching back that, up. Yep. And sometimes hard. they'll go off food. You know, they'll yeah. go off a of feed just because they are stressed, especially first time mm-hmm. mamas. You know, if it's their first litter, um, it's not uncommon to get a call. People, you know, she hadn't eaten three days. Well, you yeah. know, go get you some good old nasty Alpo and throw it in there. <laughs> right. Get you, yeah, get you, <laughs> you some know, get, just get food. something in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, and then when they're having them, just leaving them alone. Yes. You know, letting them, Mother Nature figures itself out. And then there's always the stress of, you know, if, well, another thing, knowing how many they're going to have. Some people don't care. A lot of people want to know. If you want to know, you know, at 45 days, fetal ossification occurs. So I usually try to wait till about 50 days, and you can shoot an X-ray and you can count skulls. And it's not 100%. I mean, you know, if they're plumb jack full, yeah. yeah. But you know, hey, she's got eight. I know she's got eight. She might have more. So if she has six, and you then, then you know, hey, well, I know there's two more. So, yeah, maybe I should be a little bit worried. And, you know, then you can call your vet or, 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 um, and then, you know, you can ultrasound as early as 21 days. I try to wait till 25, but that's just to confirm pregnancy. You can't count, you know, pups with an ultrasound. Right. You'll count the same pup twice. I've tried to do it a lot. So the x-ray is the better route. It's the only route to really get an accurate, you know, count. Um, but yeah, so once she starts whelping, you know, my rule of thumbs kind of, it used to always be, you know, they should have them every one to two hours, but that's really not practical, you know, mm-hmm. after being out and having some dogs whelp and then, you know, practicing. Sometimes the main thing is they're not in distress, you know. Mm-hmm. If they have three and then it's been a couple hours, but they're nursing them and, you know, they're acting normal, it's nothing to be overtly concerned about. Whenever you should be getting concerned is when they're they're pushing and they're trying to have a puppy and, you know, they're not making progress. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then having a plan for that, you know, having some gloves and having some lube because sometimes you you got to get in there mm-hmm. and, and feel what's going on and, and maybe help her out. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, once the jip's taken care of, you know, she has the litter, we call it normal loca, you know, they have discharge sometimes for up to a month and right, usually right. a couple of weeks. And I mean, it can be pretty, yeah. um, you know, voluminous, mm-hmm. a lot of it. So, um, of course that's normal. It's, it's kind of blood tinged and darker. Um, and then continuing to keep up with the calcium and, and feeding them, keeping them eating good. And then I usually start and recommend kind of a gruel for the puppies, especially if it's a large litter around that three-week range, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then the, the first deworming as well. Right. You know, roundworms, there's a lot of intestinal parasites that are transmammary. So they actually, you know, we try to address it like we just talked about, you know, having her clean. But the thing about a dewormer, you give a dog a dewormer, you deworm them. Two days later, they go eat a turd or they're licking food because you threw it on the ground or they spilt their food. They can pick them right back up. Right. So, you know, I always, at three weeks, they get pyranal or, you know, quote, unquote, Nemex. Nemex. Pyranal, pamoate, yeah. And, um, and then I like to deworm them every two weeks. So unlike ruminants, um, you know, cattle, sheep, goats, they get all of their immunoglobulins through the colostrum for the most part. I mean, mm-hmm. if a calf don't get colostrum within 24 hours, you might as well whack him on the head. I mean, not literally, but you know yeah. what I mean. They, it, It's extremely important, and it's extremely important in dogs as well. But they do get a lot through the placenta, just from the different placental attachments. They have a zonary placenta, so the placenta kind of wraps around the pup. Um, they all have, every, you know, mammal has a different placental attachment. Um, but the colostrum, it's they need to get, you know, as much within the first 12 hours of life of the receptors that bind the immunoglobulin start to internalize within the intestines and in the gut. So if they don't get enough 
within the first 24 hours, you know, they don't have as good of an immune system. Uh-huh. Um, so their immune system, basically from day one to six weeks, everything's riding on what they got from their mama. And at six weeks, from six to 16 weeks is when there's a huge lag. They're extremely susceptible to mainly parvo. I mean, we've pretty much, we haven't got rid of distemper, but we don't see a lot of distemper. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never seen a case. I've been practicing for six years. You know, all the old vets that I work for talk about it. Um, and then adenovirus, parainfluenza, those, we just don't, we've pretty much got rid of them through vaccines. But parvo is, I mean, it, we still deal with it a lot. Right. And um, up to six weeks, if the bitch was vaccinated, they are, you know, extremely um, resistant to that. And another thing to be mindful is bringing new dogs in during mm-hmm. that time. You need to, you know, practice some biosecurity there, just common sense stuff. Right. Because um, they can certainly bring bugs in. And it might not be parvo. It could be some respiratory pathogen or, you know, what mm-hmm. it might, whatever it might be. Um, but anyway, so every two weeks deworming, you know, typically weaning around six weeks sometimes mm-hmm. if they got a big litter and you got to listen to the female too if she's getting ill and not like you know she might wean them at five weeks right that's why it's good to have them on that rule mm-hmm. and start to feed them and supplement them in case something does happen they're already started on food um but we kind of target that six six weeks as our initial vaccine um you know it's arguable that at eight weeks if if the bitch was vaccinated appropriately they don't but Six weeks is a good rule of thumb. At six weeks, they don't need the lepto. They need distemper, adenovirus, parvo, and parainfluenza. Which is your five-way. Which is your five-way, yeah. So um, you give that vaccine. They don't make an immune—they have an immune response, but they don't make antibodies to that for two to three weeks. So, you know, if you give a vaccine that does no good for that puppy— until two weeks then they really tighter up good stays up for three weeks and it starts coming down and that's why we target three to four week boosters until 16 weeks of age that's so important so basically every three weeks yep every three to four i mean that's the window so if you give a puppy a shot at six weeks yep and you give the puppy a shot at 10 weeks Uh and then you don't give that puppy any more shots it's unvaccinated i mean completely because Uh The way that mature, the immune system matures after 12 weeks of age, that's where it's overtly important that they get two shots three to four weeks apart. And that's the same if you get a new dog. You know, if you, uh-huh. if you get a dog that's six months old or, you know, you get a puppy that's a little bit older, that's 12 weeks old, you know, they need two shots three to four weeks apart. And at 12 weeks, so 6, 9, 12, and 16 is kind of, yep. you know, what what we shoot for. At the 12 and 16 is when they need the lepto. And all these hounds need lepto. Again, you know, it's mm-hmm. pretty much untreatable. I mean, it's treatable, but very treatable. But you got to find it. you got to catch it in time. And it's not easy to diagnose. And right. it's costly to diagnose and costly to treat. Um, so two $15 shots and we're taken care of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, then at that 16 weeks, they get the rabies shot as well. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I always try to do Lyme at 12 and 16 here. You know, we're in an endemic area. Mm -hmm. Lyme disease is, it's crazy. I was picking ticks off me this morning. Um, I got got one off me. uh, I had rode up, went up in the mountains Tuesday to do a little scouting and pick two off of my pants, crawling up my pants. Right. Yeah. And all winter. I mean, I coon hunted hard last winter and, December, I mean January, yep. it didn't matter. They're yep. out and they're it's year round, which is very important for a flea and tick preventative, you know, mm-hmm. to be given year round. Um, it's costly, but you you kind of yeah. taught me. You, I mean, you kind of told me that the best the best the best antidote for is preventative. An ounce of Stop prevention it. is worth That's a right. pound of cure yeah. every time, especially if you got good a good dog. I mean, if you got something that, and by the time if you know if you're feeding it and you're hunting it. Yeah. You know, you obviously, it's it's a good dog to use, so, you know, yeah. can you replace it? Well, <laughs> you might as well take care of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said, we you know, we, I buy the Brevecto in pretty much bulk now. Right. I mean, I'm buying eight or ten at a time. Yeah. 
And if you you know if you get them on sale, a lot of times those they'll have those sales and that discounts oh, almost forty percent. Yeah, you can get it yeah. cheap, real cheap. Yeah. And All right, so we're at 16, 16 weeks old. We've given right. the shots at three, six, nine, or nine, six, nine, twelve, and sixteen. Yep. Give them our rabies shots. So let's talk about um, just. I mean, hit on it real quick about. I mean, of course, nutrition. Right. Most I think most people raising pups feed twice a day. Yeah. I, I think. Um, I, I think that's a common practice. Right. Um, and talk about how like as they grow. Um, the growth plates, how exercise, right. and I didn't really know this stuff until I got into the law enforcement side, and we started dealing with some younger dogs and putting some stress on them. They have how OCD it, lesions or anything like that, we, where they get chips in their joint. Yeah, up. where you put too much pressure oh, yeah. on them, and it causes it. So talk, so talk about a little bit about nutrition, what you think we, you know, we right. should a, a good practice should be, and then right. let's talk about the growth plates and the development of yeah. the dog structurally. So the nutrition side of it, you can go in so many dang rabbit holes. And nutrition in general, you know, there's so many good commercial dog foods now are, are great. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as for the well-pet diet, you know, performance hound, whatever you're feeding. But there's some things that we need to avoid. And the biggest thing's grain-free. Mm-hmm. Anything grain-free, you know, they did a retrospective study looking. Basically what that means is they're looking – they had a, a population of dogs that were dying from a cardiomyopathy or a heart disease that we had pretty much gotten rid of through good, wholesome, well-pet diets. And there was this grain-free, you mm-hmm. know, hippie kick or whatever you, you want to call it, um, kind of a niche marketing deal. Mm-hmm. Well, after three or four years, they we started having all these dogs that were dying from this cardiomyopathy. Mm-hmm. And in the study, that was the conclusion was every one of those dogs was on a grain-free diet. So mm-hmm. I don't know of any veterinarians that recommend a grain-free, dry, grain-free diet. Um, so that's something we want to avoid. But, you know, Yukonuba, Purina, Imes, Hills, Royal Canaan, all those mm-hmm. foods that have been out there forever – essentially and and they certainly have tiers of quality of food um throughout those and a lot of them have a veterinary line you know pride joy you know Mm -hmm. i mean i've fed all of them and i don't victor i don't have a bad thing to say about any of them i think they're all good foods it's just kind of what we like and what our dogs seem to do better on the puppy foods I like to I like to keep food out to them. I mean, right. you know, up to sixteen weeks of age, and and really to six months, and not keep food out. But I try to keep food out till about twelve weeks, and then I try to start dialing them back and feeding a little bit more to condition uh-huh. twice a day, and then I'll transition them. I mean, I feed once a day. I just don't right. have time to feed, you know, yeah. twice a day. But once they hit that eight month mark, I try to start you know transition them to a once a day feeding yeah now yeah i mean it's extremely important that they are on a good diet for you know growth um you know joint development and i mean overall health mm-hmm. so we do see a lot of um a lot of the things that we see are like you know ocd lesions and and certain issues are nutritional based um, but some of it's just from doing too much with the pups at too early of an age. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they don't need to be going on several miles, roading them at, you know, four and five months of age, several mm-hmm. miles every day and just using common sense. Right. Because um, you can certainly set yourself up for some issues. Yeah. Um, but the growth plates, usually kind of that 12 to 15 month mark is where they start to close and. Yep. And that kind of depending on breed as well. But for most of the, the hounds, that's kind of going to hit it. Um, some of them can be a little later. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah. What else was we talking about there? I got kind of lost. No, that, I mean, no, that, <laughs> that's it. I mean, like I said, you know, for me, and like I said, you're the vet, but two, some of the things that are very important to me is – I start worming my dogs immediately when I can. Right. I keep up. That's a that's a very um, structured schedule that I keep with them. Right. Um, since you've been on me about the shot 
updates and stuff. I have been more con- conscious of that. Um, of course, the feeding stuff I've always kind of done the same way. You know, I right. I, I keep I'm like you. I kind of keep dog food in front of the puppies at a very young age, and then as it goes, I'm 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 bringing it down until right. I, I feed once a day too. Um, the puppies I don't I, I do them differently. Right. But yeah. Right. So I mean I kind of do the same things, <clears throat> but um, I have had is not not me myself but i've seen issues where they're putting too much pressure on those young dogs for structurally right and then they have some type of breakdown on them yep um and that was something that that i felt like should be touched on so before we wrap this up we had um you know we've had some some issues with the dogs in the heat and you know you and i had kind of talked about this and I think it's very important because you, you guys have heard me say on this podcast how, you know, I'm very um, aware of the heat, the humidity levels. And you heard you heard them say a couple weeks ago, you know, they, that you know, 9 or 10 o'clock when it gets warm, I'm pulling my dogs off. Like, I'm catching them. I'm trying to cut them off. Um, I'm not trying to give them a heat stroke. And we've had a couple dogs in this area that – I don't know that they've had heat stroke, but heat exhaustion. Right. And some of those dogs have passed on. And you and I had kind of talked about how that how that heat affects the dogs long term. And you can kind of give us the medical breakdown of what's going on and what to look for and how to, you know, maybe how to prevent that. Right, right. And, you know, preventing it is hard i mean when we have training season in august mm-hmm. i mean it's just hard you know i wish they would give us a month and a half in the spring and then we pick it back up in september and, <coughs> and go to october but anyway it is what it is so so yeah i mean we see it every year see several dogs die from it mm-hmm. um you know save a lot of dogs too that are, are brought in in time and then it's very important that you know once a dog is whether they're exhausted or having a heat stroke is doing the right things whenever they're having it because uh-huh. the things we want to do actually a lot of times makes it worse which would be one of the examples would be w- would be going to the creek and just <laughs> putting water put, all over putting water all over i mean they evaporate <clears throat> that's how they cool yeah you know they pant they evaporate so when you douse a dog in water uh-huh it's holding the heat in uh-huh. the best thing and everyone needs to have a thermometer that's another thing. I'm going to hit on that real quick. Yep. I should have said it earlier. Right when before a bitch whelps her temperature, she usually has a pretty dramatic tem- <clears throat> temperature drop. Drop. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something else to look for. You know, she'll run at 100.5. You'll be checking it twice a day. Before she whelps, a lot of times they'll get down to 98. But anyway, the reason I'm saying that is we should all have a thermometer. They're yep. extremely important. I mean, it's just a very valuable tool whether we're dealing with a pregnant bitch that should be whelping, a dog that ain't eating, a dog that ain't right, you know. Um, but there should be one in the dog box too. And whenever a dog is having a heat stroke, it's good to take a temperature and see where they're at. Any so What's considered a heat stroke is I think it is over 105.8. Uh-huh. You know, anything over 105, we start to see, um, or 105.8, and 106 they call it cellular apoptosis so the cells are are dying uh-huh. and they can go into what we call dis- <clears throat> disseminated intravascular coagulation which is where basically everything starts getting activated within the coagulation system and i mean it's uh i mean we call it dead in cage they're starting to because, shut down yeah absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. and they get neurologic and you know so what we can do if they do heat stroke the best thing to do is have, you know, a spray bottle. Mm-hmm. And you actually just mist them and spray them. And you put them in the truck. You roll the windows down and haul ass to the vet. Um, you know, and put the AC on and um, and, and keep spraying them. And, and just get them to the vet as soon as you can. Um, but, uh, yeah, so as far as, you know, from a pathophysiology level, you know, there it's a lot goes on whenever their temperature gets that high. Um, but cell death is the main thing. So I mean, is that what's so is that what's affecting the kidneys to cause right, these dogs so, to shut down? So whenever they, 
you know, they also cool by vasodilation. So their their vessels will will actually expand, and that's why they used to always say put alcohol on their feet mm -hmm. because they would say that would cool them and on their ears. Well, it actually causes vasoconstriction, and that's not recommended anymore. Um, but, yeah, so whenever, you know, 25% of cardiac output goes to the kidneys. So when they're, you know, suffering a heat stroke, the kidneys get underperfused. So even though if we pull a dog out, you know, of a crisis, there's still a lot of times there's damage that occurs. Uh -huh. um, and they can develop, you know, kidney issues from that. It's something very common. And, and another thing that we see is if a dog heat strokes this year, it's more likely to heat stroke next year or next week or, you know, mm -hmm. it seems like once they have one, they're more apt to have another. And that's something that I've certainly seen um, repeatedly and have seen dogs get worse every year and then end up dying, mm. you know, um, from a heat stroke. So what would, what causes that reoccurrence? I don't know. That's a good question. I think some dogs just can't handle it. Mm -hmm. I mean, to the point where, you know, you almost wonder if they shouldn't be, um, you know, sold to, to be hunted in a different environment, especially here. I mean, yeah. you know, we get August and September and a little bit of October and then December to have one that, you know, uh -huh. you have to uh, really watch. I mean, some of them should just would do better in a different environment where they can be hunted in a cooler environment. In a cooler environment. So yeah. I think a lot of it is genetic and um, to, and you, you can't prove that, you know, as far as it being genetic, but right. it certainly uh, makes you wonder. Well, I can tell you uh, through the line that I've read for, you know, 20 plus right. years. Um, I can tell you that I had a dog named Racket who did not do well in the heat. Um, if you were running her in hot weather and she'd come out in the road, she'd jump in the first mud puddle, she'd get in a creek, she'd lay down. She did not perform well. Right. In the wintertime, different dog. Right. So right. She, had, she had a litter of puppies, and one of the females out of that litter named Abby done the same thing. Right, right. And then... Abby had a litter of puppies, and I have one at my house right now called Little Man, and yeah. he is the same way. I have seen that through three generations, that those Dying. dogs are not well in heat. Right. They don't do – now, Little Man has a little bit coarser hair, and I don't know where it comes from because the through the generations that I've raised, I haven't seen that. But he has coarser hair than the other dogs, and he's got a thicker coat. Right. So in my mind – I was kind of thinking, well, it's just because he's he's got he's got a little bit heavier coat, and then we started having a conversation. I don't know who 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 I was having a conversation with. I'm like, I'm like, wait a second, his mother done the same thing, and wait, her mother done the same thing. Right, like, right. So I started tracing it back. Yeah. And like I said, that's three generations. That's I mean, that's um, almost twenty years. Well, it is. It's almost twenty years of dogs doing right. the same thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I think it certainly is genetic. Yeah. Um, Another big thing, too, because, you know, sometimes you're going to have dogs that are heat exhausted or, or mm -hmm. maybe they start to come around. you got to be careful on when you stop cooling them because you can actually, like we quit cooling a dog, you know, once it gets to the clinic and, and we're cooling it and it's on IV fluids, getting shock doses of fluids, and we're doing all the things, um, you know, 103 is where we stop uh -huh. because it continues to go down. Yeah. And I've seen dogs that, you know, have been cooled too much too quick and um, you know, they don't discontinue cooling and, and they get right. cold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so while we're on this real quick and then we'll we'll cut this off. So, um in our police dogs when we're tracking in the summertime, even in the spring with the humidity when the humidity level starts getting up again, um and, and we see it in the fall, there's been several times that we've been tracking and we, I start seeing my dog getting um, light in the rear end. Right. You start seeing a little oh, bit yeah. of swaying. Oh, yeah, get ataxic. Yep. Yeah. And, of course, that's my immediate stop. It's right. done. We're done with it. Um, but I see um, – we see that happen quite a bit. Right. But I guess we're not – we're catching it quick enough. We're not pushing it to that level. Right. Would that be right? – Oh, yeah, and that's the thing with the hounds is, you know, we don't see that. 
Yeah, because we're not we're looking. looking. We're looking at them on the Garmin. Yeah, and saying, "Oh man, yeah, they're dropping back. Oh, yeah. they're treed. Yeah, their heads up in there because they're trying to radiate and yeah. evaporate and cool everything because that's how they cool. You <clears throat> yeah. know, is they pant. Yeah, and I think having you know, and it's hard. I mean, that's like this year that Wesley's uh mm, koa koa with well, mm-hmm. that bear that that they that that dog ended up heat stroking on karma brought that to the top yep it was 11 o'clock <clears throat> me and sam packed mm-hmm. it it was stupid yeah. but i mean the sound of the hound blowing up yeah. in the box it's a hard it's hard thing. isn't it yeah. yeah and and thank god you know we we ended yeah, up catching we treated pretty quick yeah. yeah and uh but i mean that was just you know it could have been a disaster yeah because they don't hounds don't have any quit in them and they're yeah. going to keep going so yeah well, Garrett, is there anything left, you know, on the puppies, on the females when they're bred that you want to add, take away? You know, not that I can really think of. Um, yeah, not right off. Well. Went down a few rabbit holes there. <clears throat> I don't know right. what I will said, but. <laughs> no, it's all good. But, well, I really appreciate it. And the kids are back. They yep. got They got supper. And we are going to go turn some hounds loose, aren't we? You dang right. All right. Run something. Until the next time, thanks for helping us teach, train, and definitely learn. This was a learning session. So thank you, Garrett. Yes, sir. Thank you.